All right, Trinity Church, so great to be with you today. I love it. Uh, You know what? Can we thank the worship team? What a great job today. Absolutely. And when I just think of the work and the uh, preparation and all the things that they're doing to get ready for you on a Sunday morning, it's so rich. That song buttons up communion so well. That's exactly it. At the cross, that's where these things happen. So absolutely love the way they've set us up so well today to continue and our just desire to go, God, we want to be preoccupied with you today. That's a great working definition of worship, in my opinion. So my name is Todd Arnett, the lead pastor here at Trinity. It's great to be with you today. And what we're going to do, First off, I want to do this. I want to welcome you guys here in the worship center. Those of you out on the pavilion, I want to say hello to you. Woo! And then those of you online as well, we're really grateful that you're here watching with us today. Uh, We're going to do today what every church is always accused of doing. We're going to talk about money. Right? I mean, you know, it's like, hey, we're going, you know what? That's that's what all those churches ever do. We're going to do it. We're going there. It's going to be good. And I want you to know this. Some of you, if you're a guest here today, first off, you just got to know this has not been in our culture. We, we ha- I believe we have failed to really talk about stewardship and, and what, God, what to do with what God gives us. And I'm excited to dive in and begin to develop a culture. But you also, you might have had someone who brought you today going, why don't you wait a couple weeks? That whole money thing, you know, everyone gets real sideways about that. I am so excited to dive in. And so I would say no matter where you're at in your followership of Jesus, meaning you've been following him closer and closer for a long time or short time, or, or you're, you're not even have made that decision yet, that's awesome because you are going to walk away with something helpful to you. And the simple reason is this, because if God is the giver of every good and perfect gift, he would not only be generous in giving to us, but likewise, he would know the best way for us to use what he's entrusted to us. So we want to hear his plan. We also want to be a church. We absolutely believe that the Bible is authoritative and transformative in our lives. Therefore, we want to make much of what Jesus made much of, what the Bible makes much of. Here's the interesting thing. Of all the topics that Jesus talked about, which were many, the only thing he talked more about than money and resources and wealth was the kingdom of God. And often the kingdom of God he expressed through the lens of parables and teachings that related to money. So this was a big deal to Jesus. Why? Because it's a big deal to you. That's why. He knows. He knows our heart. He knows our hearts are tethered to what we treasure. So he wanted to address the thing that we can trip over the most. And I am so grateful for that. So we're going to dive in. If you have a Bible today, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 is where I want us to start. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. If that's not very helpful to you, like where's that at? It comes right after 1 Corinthians. You're welcome. You're welcome taking care of you. And in your Trinity this week, if you are missing or you don't know these are there, these are our notes today. If you want to have those out, help you track with us as we walk through. And if you are in a home group, that's providing your kind of curriculum as you guys meet later on this week. So let me give you an overview of where we're going. Giving is at the very essence of the heart of God. We know this. We know if we believe that God is who the Bible teaches him, tells us that he is, that means that God is the creator of everything and hence the owner of everything. And we know that he has given to us, James 1, he is the giver of every good and perfect gift. So if God models the heart of giving, the models the heart of generosity, how much more would we as his people want to be generous back to him and generous with others? 
We're just simply modeling our lives after what he's done for us and what he's modeled for us. So in that, here's the challenge. Why is that so hard? Some of us, I believe, and I'd say this would be true about any church. It's definitely true at Trinity. Some of us definitely demonstrate a heart of generosity and giving. And I think, well, as we walk through today, it's because you've embraced what we're going to look at. I don't think it just necessarily naturally happened, but I think you're gonna, you've already looked at these biblical principles and you thought, I just want to model the heart of God to other people. But I will say, that's just a few of us. Man, a lot of, I do, I struggle with this. And I don't know what it is. I don't know about what, how I grew up. I don't know about my natural tendencies, but I tend to be very much like, I don't know if I'm gonna have enough at the end of the day for me. How am I gonna give to you? And that's what this addresses. That's where we're gonna head out to today. And over the next couple of weeks, we're gonna look at how do we become generous people like God has been generous to us. Paul's going to today share an axiom that I told you earlier. Even if you're here and you haven't put your faith in Jesus yet, you will benefit from this axiom of reaping and sowing. And then also he's going to couch it in this whole idea. But the beauty of it is it's meant to happen in confident uh, cheerfulness and confident joy. And we'll see that. Let's look at our now what statement. It's on the screens and in your notes. Give according to God's design and you'll develop a generous heart like his. When we begin to start giving as though God has instructed us to give, we'll develop generous hearts like his own. Our now what statement, by the way, is always more than a big idea trying to capture. It's always a next step. This is what I'm called to do with this passage in the Bible we're looking at this week. Number one in your notes, giving is a prime aspect of following Jesus. Giving is a prime aspect of following Jesus. Before I even read where we're going to go in 2 Corinthians 8, I want to first say this. It's an interesting thing. Rightfully at Trinity Church, we talk a lot about discipleship, and we absolutely should. Here's why. What did we say earlier related to communion today? Jesus is in this upper room with his 12 disciples. disciples. And, and these are another way of saying disciple is simply one who commits himself to follow, a follower. So uh, this, these followers, and what was Jesus' last prime directive? As you are my disciples, make more disciples. Continue to share this great news of what I came to bring to the world, and as you go. So this idea of discipleship, rightly so, should be a big deal to us. Here's what I found, though, in my own life and as I've interacted with others. If you could boil down discipleship to simply be following after Jesus... Seems like a basic working definition. Isn't it interesting that we begin to evaluate or continue to evaluate our discipleship? How well am I doing that? Am I staying in step with him based on the things that either we really do value or things that seem like they relatively come easy to us, at least over time? But there's other aspects of following Jesus that we just aren't interested in and therefore can even be kind of a deaf eye or deaf ear, blind eye to, and kind of go, that stuff is, is not, it's just kind of there, I know, but man, I'm, I'm a really committed follower of Jesus because I do X, Y, Z, ignoring these things over here. And often for us, giving, generosity, which we'll, we know totally is in the life expression of Jesus, is something that we can go, ah, that's for other things or other people. Let's dive in. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 7. Paul writing, he says, But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, watch this, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. We'll explain that in a second. Let me talk to you. Here's who Paul is talking to. He's talking to the church at Corinth. 
Okay, let me explain a little bit in the first century, what was this city like? It was wealthy and economically significant. It had an unchecked immorality, though, and it catered to visitors looking for fun. It was an incredible port city that was probably one of the most significant port cities because of how I think I told you a couple weeks ago when we got back from our trip, they literally would pick up small ships on carts and move them four miles and drop them in the other side of the Mediterranean because it was quicker and less storm problematic than going around the southern tip. So this was a big deal. So sailors were always in town and they were always looking for a good time. So that was part of Corinth. They were filled, Corinth was filled with addictions and brokenness. And Corinth had an incredible degree of clout in the first century because of where it was situated geographically, how it was thriving economically, and even what it meant to the Roman Empire politically. So this was a big deal. And it was interesting as I was processing those things that were true of the city of Corinth, I was going, that sounds a lot like a place I know called Southern California. And it was interesting. It would be interesting to pull back and go, huh, yeah, this city of Corinth, maybe we do have some things culturally uh, in common with them that we could actually relate to. Here's a picture. I showed you other pictures of Corinth a couple weeks ago. For those of you who don't know, we just got back from an incredible, I believe, once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to visit places where Paul was. And, and I've actually seen this picture before. Other people, Pete and Susie, not Todd and Joanna. But I've seen this picture before by other people who have visited Corinth. But I will have to tell you, so even as I tell you about this picture, you still won't get it. Because here's the wild thing, as you're there, we're in the Agora, we're in the marketplace, and we're looking up. It's the upper part I want to draw your attention to. It's hard in a picture to capture that the top of that rocky range is 2,000 feet higher than where we're standing. And on top of that rocky range was a temple to Aphrodite that had 24-7 temple prostitution. So here's the point. If you lived in Corinth, you were constantly reminded of what was going on on top of the hill. You couldn't get away from it. It hovers over the city. So that's the place to which Paul is writing these letters, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. In 2nd Corinthians, chapters 8 and 9, two chapters of a, a significant letter are actually all devoted to either giving or their posture of giving. So that's a lot of real estate in one letter of the New Testament to be devoted to this topic. And see what he says. He's talking about their discipleship. You guys are doing a great job in so many aspects of following Jesus. Look what he says. In their faith, in their speech, their knowledge, their complete earnestness, and in the love that they had kindled because of Paul and his uh, team who had been there. But look what he says. But there's still a need to excel, to be excellent in some other ways that you have so far are not grown and developed in enough yet, see to it that you also excel in this grace of giving. That was an area that was either a blind spot or an area that just had not matured yet in this local new church. Now, as we dive into this series, you saw the video, you heard me say we're going to talk about giving and generosity and stewardship. I just want you to know how incredibly timely this series is. And I'll show you in a minute, that's not me patting my back and that's definitely not me being reactionary. Let me show you. Last week on your Trinity This Week, if you take it out right now, you'll notice it doesn't look like this. What we do the first Sunday of every month, we will give you an update, a status on how we're doing related to our giving. This was on the back of your Trinity This Week last week, okay, the first Sunday of November. And as you look at it, you look at that giving update in particular, you'll note that is a lot of red, a lot of red. 
And it was interesting as we have been charting and processing as elders and even as a staff some of these things. I sat there and I go, I knew there has been actually a giving trend downwards for about the last year. I've been at Trinity for three plus years. My first two years, literally for those who were doing our accounting and they would see it literally black, in the black, every single weekend, two years straight. We're like, wow, God, look at all that. We're doing great. People are giving. We're good financially. But about a year ago, we started noticing a trend downwards, just trending, not huge, not the bottom falls up, but trending. Now I want you to know something about the number you're looking at. When you see $100,000 there, that's the reason to go, Todd, you should have made a bigger deal about this a while ago. Let me tell you what that number means. First off, the church congregation approved a budget last June for this fiscal year, July to June. And in that, that number represents what people have given compared to where our budgeted number should be. So that's the difference is what we're looking at. The other reality is this, that along the way, what's actually powerful though about that number, that means we don't owe people that money. That's a budget that you, you develop and you hope is, there's enough funding to do those things. But like we said all along, church budgets are like a family budget. If it's not there, we don't do it. And can I tell you, I am so grateful for Scott Clayton and his role of being our business administrator. I'm so grateful for our staff team that have intentionally pulled spending back. So that number, even though that number is there, the reality, the real number that our elder board is paying attention to and our staff is paying attention to is how much money do we have available to do what we need to do. And that number is not nearly as compelling or concerning as this number, but it's still a big deal, okay? So that's where that's at. And by the way, that's why I'm trying to tell you, and I know this is super weird if you're a guest today, like, wow, what is going on? Can I just tell you, my goal is to always keep in front of us and be transparent where we're at. And that's why that was printed last week and there's no surprise. Now, that being said, let me tell you, I told you this series is timely. Can I tell you the wild thing about why we're talking about this in November of 2019 is because last year in November of 2018, Todd, Hilke, and Bill put together a preaching schedule for this year. This series has been on our calendar for 12 months. So I want you to understand this isn't reactionary. Like, oh, things are not well. We got to, no, 12 months ago, we put this on the calendar And I love the fact that we serve a God who sees farther down the road than we do. Praise God. Yay, God, for that. And so as we walk this out, then we go, okay, so now here we go. And and, and in this, what I want to bring up to you as we walk it out, I want to tell you some really important things. In your Trinity this week, would you look in there and find the Advent conspiracy stuff we talked about today? This now kind of makes a little bit more sense as you're processing, like, wait a second. If we're so not doing well in this category, why are we doing this? Can I tell you, that's what our elders wrestled with. We're talking wrestled hard, prayed, fasted, had great conversations. God, should we be doing this if we're in this kind of financial position? Because I love Advent Conspiracy. You do too. You know what it is? It's us as a church saying, hey, let's dedicate a special offering. Every dollar received, we're going to give away. That's a beautiful thing to do, especially at Christmas time. So when I came to Trinity and learned that we do that, I have loved that. I'm the biggest supporter of the idea. But the elder board was really wrestling with if we should do it this year, and this is the conclusion we came to. Number one, the people at Trinity Church love to give to special offerings. So we are actually not really worried that Evan Conspiracy won't be funded. But we agreed, Todd, like every year, by the way, this is not a new thing, every year, would you be sure to remind people that our Advent Conspiracy offering is meant to be an over and above gift. 
It always has been promoted that way. Meaning, if you're here and you say, hey, there's a certain amount of financial resource that we give consistently or even monthly to Trinity, man, the, the, the projects that are going on for Advent Conspiracy this year are over the top. I can't wait to get involved. And I'm just gonna redirect that over there. We'd really encourage you not to. Just like the rest of us, we'd encourage you to go, hey, I'm gonna keep giving to Trinity that way, but I'm gonna do this over and above a normal gift because that's how we promote a special offering every time. So I love the fact that they took that that seriously and they said, hey, we still wanna do it, but Todd, would you continue to remind people of why, why, why we do a special offering? So all that to say this, that we're in a place like every church in America is of going, you know what? We can do, we, we serve a God who absolutely is without uh, any kind of cap or with any restriction. But as we do that, as a church, we go, we're going to move forward wisely, thoughtfully, and carefully. So this is what I want to do today. I want to start, before I get to the rest of where we're going today in 2 Corinthians, I want to give you a little bit of a 101, giving 101. And here's why. I believe, go back to a couple, our last series in the book of Philippians. When we were walking through that series, a series called Rejoice. Remember in chapter two, we got to the end and I said, hey, you know what? This is awesome. What does Paul keep commending the Philippian church for is their partnership in the gospel. And we know specifically it was because Epaphroditus brought a financial gift to Paul while he's in prison. And he's saying, man, we want to make sure your needs are cared for and we want to continue to support the gospel going to places like Philippi, like when it came to us. So these guys are amazing. And I asked you that week, would you stop and consider, because our leadership had, I'd asked them to do this prior, would you stop and consider as a family or as an individual, how are you, what is your giving to Trinity Church just to evaluate where you're at? Sometimes we can just get an autopilot. I know for me, we've got our stuff set up through our bank that just monthly, our amount comes out. Joanna and I pulled back and said, how, how is our giving? I, I asked you to do that because I asked our leadership to do it first. Then at the end of our Philippians series, we really see it again. Paul just goes really now in a paragraph about how grateful he is for their partnership, their koinonia, specifically through the gift of financial uh, resource to extend the gospel. And I said, he is commending the Philippian church for being a generous partnering church so the gospel gets around the world. What would he say of Trinity? And I really do think he would say great things about Trinity Church over the course of our 40 years and even over the course of our recent season because we even have leaders who say we want to continue to put the needs of others in front of ourselves. But the reality is maybe we're a little bit more like the Corinthian church than we thought in that there's some areas where we're really excelling as a church, but there's an area that might be a blind spot that needs correction. Now, I want you, to know you that, want you to know this. I know getting up here in front of you today that actually that deficit for different people in our congregation, a few gifts could actually take care of that today. But watch this. I'm not interested in that. What I'm interested in is developing a culture. Because if we do that, three months from now, we're going to be in the same spot. We need to develop a culture of a people who realize, God, what's mine is not even mine. And what am I supposed to do with what you have entrusted me with? So that provides the fuel for what I want to share with you next. Take a look in your notes. Here's a little bit of giving 101, just because I don't want to assume that we all even know this. First off, God is the owner and you are the manager or the steward. 
God is the owner and you are the manager or the steward. Matthew 25, 14, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. This is the beginning of what many of us know as the parable of the talents. I had the privilege of preaching through this this summer and we called it the parable of the faithful stewards. I think that's a much better description. And in that, what we saw was two people who received financial resources from someone above them that was never theirs. And the goal was, when I come back, I want you to give a report of how you invested this. Two of them knock it out of the park. The last one says, I was afraid of being evaluated. I dug a hole and put it in the ground. And in that whole thing, we saw what faithful and unfaithful stewardship looks like. And and here's the big idea that they had to remember all the time. What they had been given by this other individual was never theirs, but it was theirs to invest. That's, That's a key component, which yours is not really yours. It's been given to you by God to invest for a season in a way that honors him. Look at this next idea and you'll see it. Trust is the hinge for giving consistently and obediently to God or not. I absolutely believe this. If you, there are many in here today who would even say, Todd, I really do theologically, even in my own head, I recognize and agree with God as the owner of what I think is mine. But the reason I'm having a hard time being generous towards him and towards others, I just don't think there's going to be enough left for me. It's a trust issue. It's a worry issue. I just don't know. And Jesus addresses that, Matthew chapter 6, verse 31. Do not, so do not worry. And by the way, worry is the opposite of trust, right? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. Watch this. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. He's not unaware. But seek first his kingdom. Prioritize what he's about. And his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. One thing that you're going to hear more about at Trinity Church is a, a, a new 10-week experience that we are over the moon about called Rooted. And we are so excited to continue to get to introduce people to it because we think it just gives a great foundation, a great exposure to what discipleship looks like for a lifetime. And it's in, of interest. We have three groups piloting Rooted right now. And this week, of all the things that Rooted talks about, one whole week is devoted to stewardship. And it was fascinating. I'm in a group right now piloting Rooted with our elders and our elders' wives. And so it was powerful. Literally this week on Thursday night, we're gathered together and we're walking through this. And the big, big idea going all through, it's like a five-day thing you do on one topic at a time. The big idea every day is do you trust God or not? This isn't hypothetical, theoretical. It's real stuff. Do you trust that God's going to meet your needs? That's huge. And we, and we had such a riveting conversation. And there were a couple of people in particular who would just say, Todd, if people could understand God's design for how to save and how to spend and how to give, they'd be liberated from what is this gray cloud over their lives of debt and a sense of fear. And I go, you're right. That's why I can't wait to preach this message in this series at Trinity Church. Next, related to that, here's some biblical principles about giving. These come from Andy Stanley. The first thing, giving is a type that should be a priority. Giving should be a priority. And what we mean by that, that we put it first, we prioritize it, rather than, well, what do I have left at the end of the month? Look at this passage from Proverbs 3. Honor the Lord, honor Yahweh from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. 
set it aside first. It's not an afterthought. It's like, God, let's begin by the fact you own everything that I think is mine. Let's set aside from the very beginning, first fruits, what I'm going to give back to you and your purposes. Not only priority, but secondly, it should be proportional. It should be proportional. Um, You've heard, if you have read your Bible much and know much about God's disposition in the old covenant, the former covenant to the nation of Israel, they were expected to tithe. Look at this from Leviticus 27. Every tithe of the herd and flock. And if you're not used to that word, you maybe haven't been in church much or read much in the Bible, you're like, what is a tithe? He tells us every tenth, one out of ten, a tenth, every tenth animal that passes under the shepherd's rod will be holy to the Lord. So a tenth, the people of Israel under that covenant, they were called to say, God, a tenth of what you have entrusted us, we're gonna give right back to you, actually to the temple for your priests, for that whole system to function that'll function off of our gifts. That was understood. Now, this idea, that's an Old Testament, former covenant idea that a lot of people bring over and and it's one thing to bring it over, it's another thing to kind of push on people. You've got a tithe where we live in a new covenant. And the new covenant reads a little bit more like this. Look what Paul writes earlier in 1 Corinthians 16. Now about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, watch this, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. So there's the proportional idea, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Paul, when he was coming back to the Corinthians, he sends a letter ahead of time. He says, what I don't want to have happen as you want to join in seeing the gospel go to the nations, I don't want to come back and surprise you. And you're like, oh man, if we would have known, we would have been saving it. He is, I'm coming back. Would you weekly in a proportional way set aside funds so when I come, then you'll be able to give it. And it won't be a scramble and freaking out. So this idea of thoughtfully, proportionally, the idea of prioritizing it. And then thirdly, another P word, progressive progressively. We'll see this in our text even more next week. It grows as God supplies more seed, as it were. From 1 Thessalonians 4, as for other matters, so Paul talking to the Thessalonian church, all these ideas of discipleship, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live, how? In order to please God. We've given you instructions on how to live a life that God is pleased with, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this, how? More and more. Let there be a progressive idea as you engage those things and say, hey, this is an entry point of obedience and in that I wanna grow more and more. There's giving 101, just some basics as we dive into the next. Number two in your notes today, generosity is a principle that impacts all areas of your life. Generosity is a principle that impacts all areas of your life. Now, I had you in 2 Corinthians 8, move one chapter over, 2 Corinthians 9. Remember I had said this passage, these two chapters are all about giving and the posture of giving. 2 Corinthians 9, 6, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap Generously, He lays out this axiom. He actually said it really succinctly to the churches in Galatia. Galatians 6, 7, a man reaps what he sows. It's that simple. You reap what you sow. He's giving it in a different context. But he's like, here's an axiom that's simply true. What you invest into something to the degree that you do is the degree to which you can expect to have a return. 
I love it. One of the commentaries I was reading this week, you'll see it on the screen. This is how he put it related to this analogy of harvesting. He said, the image of the harvest naturally suggests the freedom of the sower to plant as much seed as he or she chooses, whether sparingly or generously. That's what I love about this illustration that Paul is using is that a sower was never constrained, like you have to sow a certain amount. He or she had the freedom to say, I have this patch of land, and to this degree, I want to see it be abundant. And I will sow either sparingly or generously to do that. So it's a really cool picture that it's one, and that's what I want you to keep hearing today, it's one about willful obedience, choices that you and I get to make to honor God with what he's entrusted to us. Now, here's the interesting thing. You get this axiom, but there's probably, outside of you having a little garden on the side of your house, sowing and reaping isn't something you do every day. So it's thinking about other ways that would be very common to us. It's the same axiom. You say, you know what, I want to have, I have a, a set amount of money that I want to take to the bank and earn 1.5% interest. It's going to kill, right? It's going to be awesome. I'm going to put this $100 in the bank and it's going to earn 1.5% interest and maybe in 80 years it'll be awesome. Okay, but that, that's all that percent's gonna do. But for someone who says, I'm gonna go to the very same bank at the same interest rate, I'm gonna deposit $1,000, we would all understand that that return is gonna be greater than this one. For the one who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. For the one who sows generously will reap generously. We get the axiom. Here's the interesting thing. Every stockbroker gets this axiom. And here's the interesting thing. What happens in that whole world, and by the way, I only know theoretically of the world of stockbroking because I don't do it, and I don't don't worry, well, how much stock does Todd have in the market? That much, okay? But I do know of the position and the concept, and here's the interesting thing, is how that works is that a stockbroker receives funds from somebody else, And then what he or she does, their job, it's like a role, they actually invest it in ways that should have a better return. They don't invest their own money, they invest someone else's. If they begin to think those funds are theirs, that's called embezzlement. That's called prison. But get the axiom. That's what happens when we think what is ours is ours. It's my stuff that I'm investing. God says it was never your stuff. Parable of the talents, the faithful stewards, but what you have been entrusted with, use well. Invest well for my kingdom and the things that you know matter to me. Um, Here's the interesting thing. So these two words, but I want to encourage you, the word sparingly doesn't mean this. It doesn't mean carefully. I just, I really want these plants to grow so well. No, it actually, the Greek word is stingily. It's being stingy. That's that's what the word sparingly means. So I don't want to make sure you don't get confused on that. Secondly, the word generously in this passage is actually the Greek word from where we get our English word eulogy. And actually, that makes a ton of sense. Listen to this. If, If you're in a memorial service and somebody's asked you, would you please do this person's eulogy? What are you going to do? You're going to walk up and you're going to generously talk about this person and how they lived and how they impacted lives and how much you cared for them. Other, they wouldn't ask you to do that otherwise. When I was doing this this week, though, it made me reflect back to my very first funeral. I was up in the high desert, and 
a family that attended our church, their mother, their, their adult age children, their mother died. And so I had never met the mother, don't know anything about that situation. I'm having an intake appointment, very common when you're planning a funeral or a memorial service, having this intake. And, and I asked them at some point, and, and they were the only Christians in their whole family. So imagine four or five of their siblings and their spouses. And, and I said, so as we're thinking about your mom, what would be the kinds of things we would include in a eulogy? What would you want to share about her? There was an awkwardness of silence that if I were to replay that right now, you go, oh, I really get it. No one's saying anything until finally one of the adult children, not the people I knew, one of the adult children say, she liked cats. She lived sparingly. She reaped sparingly. Do you get that? That's an axiom about every part of our lives, not just money, but all of who we are. And here's the big idea that I want you to see. I want you to understand when you process this, this reality is it comes back to why we're generous is because God is generous. Look at this in your notes. We're called to be generous because he is, because God is generous. We're simply demonstrating his character when we give generously to him and to others. Watch this video and you'll see what I mean. Imagine your friend invites you to a party. You arrive and there's lots of people, decorations, food and drink. There's enough for everyone. When you're hosted by someone that generous, you don't have to worry about your needs. You can just enjoy yourself and focus on the people around you. Yeah, that's what a good host wants for her guests. And this is the picture of the world that we find in the Bible. Creation is an expression of God's generous love. He's the host and humans are his guests in a world of opportunity and abundance. And we're called to keep the party going, to spread his goodness. This is a beautiful picture, but it's not the way people experience the world. Rather, we find a world of scarcity and struggle, not abundance. And Jesus grew up in that kind of world. Under military occupation, people losing their land or families to debt and poverty. And yet, he would say things like this. Look at the birds. They don't store up food for themselves, yet they have enough. Or consider the wildflowers. They're beautiful and abundant, and they don't stress about their existence. And you all should live that way, too. But surely Jesus knew that things don't always work out. I mean, sometimes there really isn't enough. And Jesus did experience poverty firsthand, but he viewed the world through the story of the Hebrew scriptures, which claimed that our scarcity problem isn't caused by a lack of resources. Rather, the problem is our mindset that God can't be trusted. Maybe God's holding out on me. Maybe there isn't enough, and maybe I need to take matters into my own hands. And once we're deceived into that mindset of scarcity, we can justify the impulse to take care of me and mine before anyone else. And that leads to envy and anger, violence, and a world where it seems like there's not enough. The party's over. It's turned into a battleground. But God wants humans to experience his generosity. And so he chooses one people, the family of Abraham. And he promises to give them the abundance that he wants for everybody else. God will provide what they need. All they have to do is trust his generosity. And through them, the whole world will see how generous the host really is. But that's not what happens. Abraham's descendants, the Israelites, enter a land of abundance, and they promptly forget the host who gave it to them. They act like it's all theirs, and like there's not enough. And it leads to war and Israel's self-destruction. If I were the host of this party, I think I'd just give up. But God doesn't give up. 
What he does is surprising. He gives another gift. Another gift? Yeah, but this gift is different. What God gives is himself. All right, and Jesus, the host himself, comes to join in on the spoil party. And notice, Jesus lives with the conviction that there is enough and that our generous host can be trusted. His mindset of abundance allowed him to live sacrificially and generously even towards his enemies. And Jesus called his followers to trust in God's abundance like him. And that's why he said things like, sell your possessions and give to the poor, or don't worry about your life. He's inviting us to live by a different story, one that is built on trust in God's goodness and love. But living generously doesn't mean life is going to go well. I mean, look at Jesus. He was betrayed by his friends and he suffered. And this was no surprise to Jesus. He knew that people would take advantage of his generosity. In fact, that was his plan. Really? Yeah, think about it. Jesus knows that we're all hopelessly deceived by this lie that there's not enough. Yeah, that lie needs to be defeated. And so that's what Jesus was doing when he gave us the gift of his life. Jesus' death was the ultimate expression of God's generous love. Yeah, God's love can turn death into life. And scarcity back into abundance. Or as the Apostle Paul put it, you know the gift of our Lord Jesus the Messiah, that even though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And Jesus called his followers to live like the real party has begun. Yes, he called it the kingdom of God. And our invitation to this party is yet another gift, the personal presence of God's own spirit that can teach us how to trust the generosity of the host just like Jesus did. And when you believe there's enough, you start seeing opportunities for generosity everywhere with our time and money, our attention. Yes, one of the most important ways that we can experience the abundance of God's new creation is sharing with others because of our trust that God is the generous host. I love the guys from Bible Project. They do such a great job. And that video just again captures the heart of God. Listen to this verse. He who did not spare, same word, so sparingly, he who was not sparing his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, along with Jesus, graciously give us all things? I just love that. Here's the thing. Some of you are sitting here going, Todd, that's really great. You have no idea the deep well of debt I'm in. Todd, that's really great that you want me to be more generous and live with this kind of biblical design. Todd, I can't get out from underneath the medical bills that are plaguing my family. Todd, it would be great, but we've never been on a budget. You're going to go on and on, and everything you're going to say is going to be accurate in that it's challenging. We knew that. And I'm so excited. We're going to do an event two weeks from today called Equipping for Generosity. We absolutely believe that many of you are staring in the face of challenges and obstacles that you would say are keeping me from being generous. So we wanted to say, let's try to do anything we can do as a church to help you take them away. Uber practical. Look at, take a look on the screen. Things like we're going to do things related to how to build a budget, how to start dealing with debt, how to invest in ways that are biblically sound, how to create a, willing, a living will and trust, all kinds of practical things that will help you go. I want to be a generous person. I don't know in all the ways how, or I have big obstacles in front of me. We want to help you with those. Saturday after, or Sunday afternoon, two to five, two weeks from today, equipping for generosity. And because we didn't want you to have any reason why you couldn't go, there's no cost. 
All we need you to do is tell us you're coming. There's a place online. If you go to our webpage, it'll be really obvious on the front page, Equipping for Generosity. Click through. Your registration is open now. We just love to know which seminars you're planning on going to, and we'll just do a two to five in the afternoon. It'll be a great time to be helpful to you. That's our entire, entire goal. Number three today, and we'll wrap it up with this. Generosity manages the tension between a biblical mandate and my free will. Generosity manages the tension between a biblical mandate and my free will. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, the very next verse, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. So Paul is saying, you should give. This is a biblically appropriate idea, but watch, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Why? For God loves a cheerful giver. That's how giving ought to be engaged. So here's what we've seen so far today. We have seen, number one, what's yours isn't yours. God is the owner. He simply entrusted these things to you. Secondly, we've seen that God does want you to prioritize based on a percentage and based on this idea of, um, I can't remember the other P word. It was great. Um, that to give, and there's a biblical mandate for that. So we know those two things out of the gate. What is yours is God's. And secondly, he's wanted you to give to his causes, to his kingdom. And for some of us, you're like, wow, that's, that's a, kind of a lot, Todd. That's a little bit depressing. But, but let me walk you down this road. But in that reality, how you give is absolutely to the heart of God crucial. He says first, he doesn't want, he wants you to set it aside. That word means to choose for oneself before another thing. I always like the word purposefully. Be purposeful. Be purposeful in how you give back to God and to his church. Then it goes on to say, but how not to, not begrudgingly. And I love this word in the original Greek. It's the word they use when they're on their way to a funeral. Oh, they're passing the bag. Doggone it. Right? And by the way, I want you to notice today, we did the offering before this message on purpose. And there's no second offering today, <laughs> purely for your moving forward, okay? That was on purpose. So, so in that, so that's begrudgingly. It's like you're on your way to funeral. The other word is under compulsion. It means like this. All right, I'll give. Stop it, uncle. Not begrudgingly, not under compulsion, but purposefully watch this and cheerfully. Why does God want you to give cheerfully is because God gives to you cheerfully. He loves, that is the essence of God is to give. And he says, be like this, be like me in the way I generously, cheerfully give to you. Give back to me and give to others that way too. The church that we were so privileged to go on our trip with is a church, you've met Ray Johnston. He was here with us a couple years ago. I have been to their campuses and I've been in a church worship service. This is literally how it goes. Whoever's hosting, they start with saying welcome and they give an announcement or two and this is what they say. And now it's time to receive the offering. You have no idea what's happening. Everyone goes nuts. Woohoo! yeah! The whole place erupts in cheers. And you go, you're sitting there, and I've like been in church a long time. Nobody has ever approached the offering in my church like that before. And then he, it, the host quickly says, and why do we do this Bayside? And they all say in unison, because God loves a cheerful giver. Just for fun, we're not taking another offering. Could we just practice that? Okay. 
So here I am. I'm up here. I'm welcoming you. And I, wait, wait. I'm welcoming you. I'm welcoming you. And saying it's great to have you here. We're going to receive the offering now. I can't wait to give back to God what he's so generously given to me. In your notes, as we wrap it up, that's what this last one is about. This is why God says, not just give and give generously. Generosity is not just the act of giving, but the heart of God that inhabits the action. You see, God is not calling you to religion to keep checking boxes. God has said, I've called you into a whole new thing. Jesus said, I've come to give them life and life to the full. Not some other religious walking through these steps to try to be good with God. I've given you a brand new thing. And in that new thing, live generously. And that inhabits the heart of God in the things that you do. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you today as a group of people. We want to begin to develop a culture at Trinity Church that truly does not just theoretically understand, but practically engages your heart. You are the giver of every good and perfect gift. You are the one who so generously bestows upon us every single thing that we would count as an asset or a resource. It all goes back to you. God, help us, as we've said, seen today in the text, not be stingy. Help us give generously, God. Help us be a people who, even that Greek word we didn't get to today, it's the word hilarity. God, out of hilarity, let me give back to you with great joy and cheer because I'm modeling your heart. God, help us be that people. Help us grow in this area and we will absolutely give you all the praise because of it. We pray in Jesus' great name, amen.